Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 67 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here today with a couple uh, from the US, Elizabeth Herbert and Nathan Arnold. Did I say your names right? Hubert's. Hubert's. So close. <laughs> Good job. All right, so uh, where exactly are you guys from and where are we now? Uh, we lived the last four years in San Francisco, but we were born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, we're currently in Koh Lanta, Thailand right now. Yeah, and more specifically, Elizabeth, where exactly are we? In an island paradise at a <laughs> co-working space called CoHub that gets the best internet speeds on the island. Yeah, so Koh Lanta is one of my favorite islands just because uh, that's good scuba diving. It's just like a peaceful, kind of a beautiful place. Um, so we'll definitely talk a little bit more about Koh Lanta and the actual co-working space today. Um, but let's first talk about what, what do you actually do online? Go for it. So I actually am taking some time off to work on side projects. Mm -hmm. uh, I come from a digital marketing background and for the past two years I've been working as a web developer, which means in the web development community I'm still very junior. Uh, so I'm working on a side project, a website, basically a CMS system I built from scratch and at the same time helping out on small projects like I'm helping this co-working space work on their email campaigns through MailChimp. Okay, that's very cool. And, and you, Nathan? Uh, I make iOS and Android apps, so I still have a couple of connections in San Francisco that are willing to give me some cash to do that for them, so okay. it's working out. So you're, are you freelancing for them now? Or? I am, okay. I am. And did you used to work for startups? Yes, yes I did. Um, so, uh, Elizabeth dabbled a little bit. Yeah, so we both actually worked for the same startup, which mm -hmm. is the one Nathan's freelancing for now. Mm -hmm. um, and Nathan worked for a couple of startups before that. It's kind of the San Francisco way. You join a company, they get a huge round of funding, they <laughs> succeed or they fail. Um, latest company seems to be succeeding. So. Okay. My previous two companies crashed and burned pretty hard. So That's all right. Well, one thing I actually wanted to ask you two about is the difference between the startup scene and the digital nomad scene. What are the similarities and then what are the differences? Well, the startup scene actually seems very similar to the digital nomad scene in that um, it's all built with entrepreneurs. So I've met a surprising number of entrepreneurs here in Koh Lanta and in general on our travels. It seems like if you own your own company, it's very easy to also be location independent. Mm -hmm. um, However, the startup community in San Francisco, in particular, seems to be much more geared towards exponential growth. So you live or you die in a year, whereas the people we meet here, they seem to be more focused on having at least one small business on the side that can support them through their travels, regardless of maybe what they're also working on. If they have a business, they're trying to grow very quickly. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Where all the digital nomads I know, uh, everyone's, you know, they want to be profitable. They just want to make enough money to be able to keep traveling and not have to go home. Yeah. <laughs> and once they have that, then they all you know, want other passion projects. And those could end up being these giant companies or you know, these, uh, kind of a big thing that makes a big difference. But 
everyone also wants some kind of semi-passive income that makes, you know, even a thousand dollars a month where they can just live. Uh, right. Agreed. I'd say the other, also major develop or difference, at least for software developers, is that in the startup world, you're kind of expected to work like all the time. Like <laughs> it's kind of rare to find a startup that's like engineers. Okay, you only work eight hours today. Um, however, as a digital nomad, it seems people are a lot more protective of their time, and they're a lot more willing to say like it's four or five. I'm done for the day. Yeah, I try to stop working at four every day. Uh, here it's been a little bit different because we haven't been going to the gym lately, um, and but still around four or five we're like okay let's go down to the beach let's go for a swim you know so that, that way we can be done in time for dinner yeah yeah totally <laughs> you know? and I think in San Francisco I mean I think it's because you have to pay like four thousand dollars for rent <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that's yeah um, I feel like for software developers there's also like definitely this expectation where like like your work and your passion are one and the same. Mm -hmm. So like if you kind of say, I don't want to work 12 hour days, you're looked down upon a little bit. Uh. Like there's a little bit of social stigma. For and hours. I think here's the exact opposite where if you are working 12 hours a day, people look at you like, why are you working so much? Like, right. Go down yeah. to the beach, go, you know, like, hey, let's go diving. Let's go do, let's go do something else. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, so the type of uh, people that you met just so just here in Colanta, like what what do they do online? We've met quite a few web developers, um, a couple of guys who actually have their own either kind of consulting agencies um, where they'll hire other developers in other countries to help do work for clients. Um, we've met a couple of writers, mm -hmm. a couple um, designers, designers, yeah. Yeah, there's and then there's kind of like this other group I would say which like has various they're the broad category of entrepreneur yeah. um, where they have like various project pro projects that they're working on which are sometimes very dis like disparate like very different from each other but it's still like okay I give a little effort for each um, so yeah and, it's, and I definitely met a lot of freelancers here as well yeah. I would say it's a little bit different than people I meet in Chiang Mai have you, got, have you guys been up there we have. We have. Okay. And what do you think of it up there? Love Chiang Mai. We weren't there long enough to really get embedded into the digital nomad community. Yeah. Um, we really want to go back there for an extended period of time. Just the amenities for the costs are yeah. outstanding. I mean, mm. they have world-class coffee shops, um, speedy internet access, really cheap rent, amazing malls and shopping. I love Chiang Mai. Um, we were up there visiting friends who are actually living about like 30 minutes north okay. um, and they are both location independents right now. They are um, movie editors. I think oh. the wife yeah. like was part of a team that won an Emmy. Yeah. Um, They're good at what they do. So they too fell in love with Chiang Mai, rented a house there with their two kids actually. Yeah, it's nice that it's a kind of a family friendly place. I think there's a lot of families here in Kalanta too. Um, have you seen all the, all the Swedish families around? No. I read online that Swedish families love this place, but I haven't <laughs> met a, fa a Swedish family yet. <laughs> so there's a, actually two Swedish schools on this island that are accredited. So if you are Swedish and you want to basically come here, um, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess not you. If you want to bring your kids here, because they're, they're both um, like elementary and middle schools, yeah. you, 
the government of Sweden will pay you to come live on Colanta. Funny. <laughs> yeah, so school will be free, you can rent a villa, you can just like hang out for six months or a year, and it's completely free. Oh, that's that's awesome. Not, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the whole reason why there's so many people here. Uh, and it's also just like a nice breakaway, because you know how cold it is right now? I mean, even in San Francisco, it's cold right now. Yep. Yeah. yeah we flew out of Chicago on <laughs> February 3rd. And as we drove into the airport, there was a blizzard. Yeah, it happening. was. It, there's a great picture of us like standing in the middle of like the snow hitting our faces, mm-hmm. and then I think probably the next picture of us is actually in uh, Thailand, where it was like ninety something. Right. How did your, your friends and family react when they saw the first photo? I well, my mom was just thankful that we were not dead, okay. and I think that made her very happy. <laughs> yeah, I think they're extremely happy with our stories from Thailand because since many of them have never been out of the country and if they have been it's to places like Cancun they have this idea of Southeast Asia as being very foreign very unfriendly very dangerous um, that you know is completely untrue so hearing stories from us that oh no it's really built up for tourism everyone speaks English the food is amazing we don't have any parasites yet Um, (laughs) they're stoked about it that's cool uh, but de- I definitely would say that, like, as people could probably hear the birds in the background, it really is a whole new world. Yeah. It's, it's completely different than growing up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, <laughs> or in, in the city. Um, but at the same time, I mean, we really, like, really have everything we need. Yeah, it's, like, the amenities are similar, right, to, like, Fort Wayne. Like, there are probably fewer McDonald's on the island, <laughs> but you can still find food to eat. Yeah. Um, well, see, so actually, I just wrote a post on my blog about um, it's, it's kind of like the guide to to Colanta for digital nomads, and in it, I basically said now that there's a co-working space, it's definitely a good place where digital nomads can come. But as far as for me personally, I can see myself based out of here for a couple months at a time, but definitely not the whole year. And it's only because, if as much as I like scuba diving, I like the beach. I really like having the options of like a normal city like Chiang Mai, where I, I like being able to go to a movie theater sometimes, you know, or go to a mall. As, as lame as it sounds, you know, I kind of like miss going to a mall sometimes. I completely <laughs> totally agree. agree. Uh, we were actually talking about that, like Colanta is nice for a while, but I think as far as options on things to do, things to see, things to eat, Mm-hmm. Your options are going to be much better on the mainland. So the island atmosphere definitely has its perks. You have the ocean, you have the beach, but you will not get world-class coffee here. Yeah. Um, mostly Nescafe. It's Nescafe. <laughs> Which is a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like in Chiang Mai, there's the Hill Tribe coffee where they just they pick it like an hour away and it's they roast it in Chiang Mai and it's, you know, some of the best coffee. And for me, I drink Bulletproof coffee. I can get grass-fed butter from New Zealand at oh the, yeah that's know. what that is yeah <laughs> but here in um in Colante, like you, you don't have those options they have they have butter but it's not you know you don't have a choice you don't you can't find grass-fed butter you can't find a lot of health things you know the things that you like special things you can't find and i love eating on the beach and watching the sunset uh but yeah, I think you st- you stop appreciating as much if you, do it, if you if that's the only place there is to eat. Yeah. So true. Well, and then we actually were shocked. I know it's ridiculous, but we were shocked by how expensive it is on the island. Uh, because our first stop was Bangkok, but Bangkok has an amazing street food scene. I mean, the best street food we've found in Thailand, and it's so cheap. You know, forty baht dishes, 
and go up to Chiang Mai and it's similar like if you really want like a 40 baht meal you can find it anywhere and yeah. it's delicious there's fresh fruit here on the island everything is two to three times more expensive yeah so 40 baht is like a, a dollar 20 or something yeah right? oh. yeah, yeah so I feel there. ridiculous because it's still so cheap by yep. Western prices but after having experienced Chiang Mai and Bangkok it's surprising yeah I would say if you're coming from San Francisco come to Koh Lanta and you're still gonna think everything is cheap yes. you're gonna be like oh, oh yeah had <laughs> oh, ties you know three bucks that's super cheap yeah uh, but if you've you know, if you're bootstrapping, if you're on a budget, or you've been to other, you know, you've been to Chiang Mai, then you'll come here and be like, okay, this is a, a holiday destination, you know, yeah. and the price is reflected. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. What are you two paying for your accommodation here? Like, where are you guys staying? We're staying at a bungalow place called Ban Sita, and we pay 500 baht a night. 15 bucks? About okay. 15 bucks a night yeah. for basic accommodation. It's a Thai-style bungalow, one room with a private bathroom in the back, okay. fan room, so no air conditioning, okay. but we do have a small refrigerator and plenty of room for our stuff. Okay. That, that, yeah, that's cool. We stay in a similar place just next door called Wonderful Resort. Oh, yeah. A couple people here. Yeah. There. And it's uh, three bucks more a night, but it includes breakfast. So. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I would say just overall, um, 100%, I personally would recommend someone come here if they just quit their job in SF. And they're like, I have some, you know, I have some money saved up, and I want to go experience Thailand. And in their mind, Thailand is a tropical island. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I almost wish we would have come here first. Yeah. Like, I think it was silly for us to go to Bangkok, then go north, then come back down here. Like, I, especially when you're first getting out of your job, you just want that vacation. You yep. don't want to do yeah. anything. An island is perfect for that, and then you can head north. Yeah, and then we like, <laughs> we would have kept being uh, surprised at how like cheap things would get yeah so. rather you go north you're like whoa yeah that's nice so the reason why i love chiang mai is because it's the burning season up there same for us did, did you experience some of it oh yeah so much yeah we actually spent a few days um a little bit north of chiang mai in a little town called pai mm -hmm. which is a huge tourist destination mm -hmm. it's a, an adorable mountain town and up there um, you could really see the effects of burning season. So all of these farmers do slash and burn farming, help stimulate growth for the next year. Mm -hmm. One night from our bungalow, we looked out onto the mountain and it looked like the entire side of the mountain was on fire. Okay. Yeah. I have photos of this actually. Um, <laughs> the and burn line was huge. Like it was. We asked the person who owned our bungalows if the fire had gotten out of control or if this was normal. And she was like, oh no, this happens all the time. Like the, the fires will kind of go out of control but then they go out by themselves and yeah. <laughs> you just wouldn't believe how much smoke was in the air mm -hmm. my lungs my eyes yeah we were definitely definitely had some sore throats and some burny mm -hmm. eyes so the crazy thing is uh, when the air started getting bad you know both of us and i noticed it and it, we started just being you know like just very unhappy you know <laughs> just health wise and just in our mood we don't want to go anywhere we just wanted to stay home um and we were like, you know what? It's only a couple hundred bucks. Just let's just, you know, buy a, you know, a new plane ticket because we had a plane ticket, uh, actually for tomorrow, <laughs> to to come. And I, we might even still have that ticket. <laughs> but we decided, like, you know what? It's it's not worth our health. Let's buy new tickets. Just you know, leave the other one or try to cancel it, and come down a week and a half early. And I'm so glad we did because this entire week and a half, people have been posting on Facebook how you know how bad it is how, yeah. how much smoke there is and how smoggy it is but 
and this is why I completely unfollow all forms, uh, all Facebook groups, is because you have these people that complain day after day <laughs> about the smoke. And I'm like, just leave. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. our friends who are living up there, um, they contacted us a week ago and they were going to come down to the islands in a month and they're like, we're coming tomorrow. Yeah. Smoke yeah. is bad, we're leaving. Yeah, it got so. bad enough that they definitely sped up there. And I think the, the worst part of it is you have the naysayers that keep like linking to articles saying that the smoke's not really bad for you or that like it's a you know it's like an acceptable amount of pollution or it's, a, you know, it's actually healthy for you it clears out <laughs> everything in your lungs replaces it with smoke yeah and it like it almost seems like whatever it is whatever kind of open forum there is any kind of group there's always going to be i almost feel like they're trolls yeah, <laughs> yeah i'd agree with that but it's more that they're trolling their own life where they're you know it's like they're and here's the sad part i really think it's because they then for whatever reason cannot leave you know they either can't uh can't afford to leave they have a thai girlfriend or a thai wife and kids and they can't you know bring them all away for whatever reason so they justify why they're there yeah I mean, you see that with all aspects of life why people stay in crap jobs or whatever yeah it's like yeah. once you put in a certain amount of investment <laughs> yeah. you feel like even admitting to yourself that it was a bad idea is too painful yeah so. definitely but i would say 100 percent. it's it was worth coming down here oh yeah yeah agreed for us yeah. as well yeah. it it was getting painful to go outside for a while so so, uh, my parents are actually coming here tomorrow. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so my basically my entire family, my parents, my sister, my brother-in-law, their their kids, they're all flying in uh, exactly this time tomorrow, and then I'm gonna do a basically a two-week just vacation. I might still come into work a little bit, uh, but I'm pretty much done. <laughs> Great. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, it's it's really good timing because. I try to go back to San Francisco um, probably every six months or so, just or at least once a year, just to see family. And I didn't really have a big reason to go back this time. Like I just, I was just kind of like, you know what? It'd be nice to see some of my friends, but I was like, I don't really need to see them right now. You know, no one's getting married. Like there's no, there's no big reason. Uh, there's nothing I really miss eating because you can get pretty much everything in Chiang Mai. Yeah. And I was like, there's really nothing I want, you know. And I was like, I do want to see my family. And when they said they were coming out here, I said, perfect. And how long have you been out? Like, So I've technically been traveling since 2008. Okay. Uh, but I go back and forth a lot. So I'll go back and spend a few months here and there. Um, but yeah, now it's been like, what, seven years or something. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you feel like your connections, like, so like you just said, going back to San Francisco, you didn't really feel that big of a need since mm -hmm. there are no weddings or anything. Do you feel like there are... Like that's going to keep happening more and more. Like you're just going to get let, like fewer and fewer connections. Yeah, especially now that I have my girlfriend, who you know I really plan on being, you know, being with for the rest of my life. So we have our own connection now, and we have our own. Um, we're kind of building our own life. Uh, I think when I was kind of just always hanging on to just like high school friends or college friends, I, you know, I didn't realize how much our lives have kind of grown apart. Uh, I still keep in touch with them. Uh, so actually, just earlier today, I was laying in that hammock right next to us, and I was talking to my buddy Simon, who uh, actually works for a, he works for, I think, Comcast. Uh, but he does their their backend stuff. I don't, I don't know, some kind of programming. <laughs> as long as it wasn't customer support. No, definitely not. <laughs> uh, and I was, you know, I was, he, I was just talking to him about 
his job and everything back home and I realized it's like you know I'm not I'm not really missing anything like we'll still be friends you know we'll, like maybe he'll come out here maybe I'll go back and hang out but there's not like literally no like no reason for me to go back yep. yeah it is uh, like this experience actually of getting out of the country and starting our lives as I guess digital nomads mm-hmm. um, it's really made it clear how much our lives have uh grown apart from people we grew up with and I think especially in the middle of the country maybe more so than people on the coast uh, that difference is a lot greater like I have friends who are in this small town who have two kids already and I'm only 25 Mm -hmm. and then me and Nathan are out here traveling around in the middle of Thailand living on an island as tech workers it's like how did that happen in the course of eight years so how do your friends and family back home like kind of feel about what you're doing do they even really understand it I don't think they really understand what we do. I think Nathan's mom has referenced our job as typing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like my friends get it um, for the most part. I think like people that are in their like twenties and thirties, they get it. Um, the older generation, like the boomers, like my mom, that are in their fifties or sixties. Hi, mom. <laughs> Hello, mother. <laughs> um, seem to not entirely get it. Like they view it, they view it as a vacation, kind of like if you're on a cruise for nine months. Um, Who goes on a cruise for nine months? I don't know. That would be the worst. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. <laughs> so much food poisoning. Um, but they view it more like that. Like they don't entirely understand that you can get paid either by having a company that you run or are contracting. Like, I think, yeah. I think a lot of them think we're either fabulously wealthy, which we're not, or that <laughs> yeah, um, whatever we're doing, it's really, really, really hard. Okay. And I don't think that's true. I think it's, it was just more of a, this is something we really want to do. Let's go for it. We bought a plane ticket. That was it. So I kind of wish they would see that because mm-hmm. sometimes I think people get stuck in a Midwestern mentality and I'm like, no, man, you could do this too. <laughs> so tell me about, so you two are engage, engaged? Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the the kind of putting off the wedding to come there. Broke our mother's heart. Yeah, well, there's a funny story um, that happened before this, which was when we were about to move to San Francisco. um, Are we really telling that story? Yes. (laughs) Okay, can I tell it since this is my blunder? (laughs) Sure. All right, so we were moving to San Francisco. We just found out Liz got her first job out of college in her dream city. And now Nathan, we've been together for a year, who's a software developer, is coming along with because... Where better to be a software developer? So we sit Nathan's mom down, we Which take her to a, to a nice dinner, and it's very obvious we're about to tell her something really serious. Mm-hmm. So the big joke in my family, so my mom has been telling me forever, like, don't have kids until you're like 30 because they'll, you'll ruin your life, uh. whatever. Um, so we said, we have some really big news. And I go, I'm pregnant. <gasps> Just kidding, we're moving to San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. and. Then it was two tragedies. Oh my gosh. It was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, You just saw the elation, like, grandchildren. (laughs) Or I was like 21 at the time. And then it was like, no grandchildren, and I'm losing my only (laughs) child. Yeah. It was horrible. I actually Um, have a sister, so she has more than one child. Sorry, not only child, only son. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, now your sister's going to listen to this and be really mad at me. But, uh, um, so flash forward four years. Flash forward four years, we did not break the news in the same way. But um, 
when we got engaged, everyone kept asking us when the wedding was. Yeah. And we actually had a fairly decent chunk of change saved yeah. up and had considered having a wedding. And then we kind of realized, oh, you know what we could do with the average cost of an American wedding, which is yeah. around $30,000? We could start our lives abroad and go live on an island in Thailand for months on end. Yeah. Um, so we decided to do that. So what is the actual plan while you're out here? Like, See the world. Yeah. Make a little money along the way so we can keep on traveling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we, we didn't start out with a definite plan. Like we knew we were coming to Thailand, but mm-hmm. that was pretty much where the plan stopped. Because um, mm-hmm. we had both been traveling a little bit before and we both hated the set schedules where it's like, okay, in three days you have to city hop. like. Three day, next three days, different city. Mm-hmm. So we both hated that. So the yeah, was kinda, it was like take it slow. during college, we had a lot of checklist travel where it's like, see this, do that, eat this, go here. And it felt like if you didn't do those things, you weren't traveling the right way. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of our chance to go out and see the world in our own way and take it really slow and take time to actually get to know cities mm-hmm. and just live life the way that we would normally, but in a different location with a different culture. Um, maybe learn a little bit of a local language. I mean, really, that's all we're actually doing is we're living a normal life, yeah, yeah. but just in a different culture. right? Yeah. And I honestly don't think this is that different from living in Hawaii. No. It's just a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah, Colanta um, reminds me a lot of Hawaii, actually. So, well, like, how does it remind you of Hawaii? Well, it's an island paradise for one. Super laid back. Um, everything's more expensive than on the mainland, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are tons of tourists everywhere. I don't think there's actually that many tourists, like compared to compared to Chiang Mai, like old city. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Because so on Long Beach. The, so the beach right behind, literally right behind us, that we can see from here. Uh, there, you can have like a lot of open space just for yourself. Like if you put down your towel somewhere, there's not gonna be anyone next to you for, you know, 50 feet or 100 feet or maybe even like a block. <laughs> that is really nice about Colanta. I haven't yeah. been to the other islands, but uh-huh. what I've heard, especially um, about like Koh Samui, yeah, it's just people everywhere all the time can't get a spot to yourself yeah and like even yeah like Phuket is exactly the same way they actually banned uh, beach chairs now uh, from Phuket what? and I couldn't figure out why and I think what it is is they don't want people to sit on the beach all day because it's too crowded so they're <laughs> like well if we take away the, the umbrellas and the beach chairs people can only be under the sun for X amount of hours before <laughs> right. they burn so they'll get off the beach go into the restaurants, spend money, or go, you know, go back to your hotels. Unintended consequence, more medical tourism for Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> so I, but the, so I think there are two reasons why Koh Lanta is less uh, busy. Uh, is one, it's kind of half the year. It's what they call green season. Do you, do you actually know what that is? It's supposed to be rainy monsoon season, right? Yeah, like it does rain, but it's still sunny like half the time. I think what it is, it's... The, the diving becomes bad during that time just because the, the weather changes the water changes so the visibility goes away um, and diving is a huge part of Koh Lanta so during for like six months you know the weather changes it's not as good and a lot of people just leave like the whole well, half of the island actually shuts down hmm. uh, so because it's not like a year long tourism thing uh, the resorts aren't as built up there's not as much infrastructure and then second it's a lot easier to get to Koh Samoy Phuket because you can just fly directly there 
And I think, you know, tourists coming from anywhere, they don't want that extra travel, you know, that extra leg. Right. And that prevents people that aren't, like, super, super laid back or have, like, weeks and weeks to travel <laughs> from coming here. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. And that's why I think even though there's, you know, a ton of Western people on this island, uh, most of them aren't tourist tourists. They're not, like, you know two three day tours yeah like pretty much like everyone i've met is here for at least a few weeks yeah it's interesting someone told me that colanto was like pie uh very similar and i think that was very misguided Um, false like just not really yeah so pie um as well as chiang mai and parts of bangkok it seemed like every city we went to had these little backpacker communities Mm -hmm. and these are like the checklist travelers really a lot of them wear this very specific type of pant um (laughs) we call them the travel pants they have a very low crotch they're a little weird but um like hammer pants but with more colors most of them stay in there's usually some kind of a backpacker ghetto in the Mm -hmm. town and they all live together and a lot of them are vegetarians so we didn't actually (laughs) find that in Colanta. You don't get those people because it's not along their route. Yeah, it's um, not on the banana pancake trail. Exactly. Right. So we found that extremely refreshing. Yeah. It, it's not like that is a wrong way to travel by any means. I think I did that in college and I learned so much doing it, but we're at a different stage of life. We're doing mm-hmm. a different type of travel. Yep. And yeah, Colanta is definitely more long-term travel, uh, lots of couples, yep. mm-hmm. families. And I like it. I like it that way. Like, so I'm kind of glad there's that that extra two-hour travel leg that prevents, you know, a lot of people. From, a lot of people are just like, you know what? I don't have, you know, an extra day to travel. I, I need to see. I can see two more places. Let me do that instead. Right. Yeah. So, how long can you see yourself actually staying here and, and working? In Kolanta or yeah. in Thailand? And uh, let's say both. So Kolanta probably not long term because I am a redhead and on our second day here it was very clear that I'm not meant for island paradise. (laughs) Um, I am currently peeling, got a really bad sunburn. So Kolanta would be more of a vacation destination and it just has the added benefit of also being a good workspace. So maybe like one month max. Um, Chiang Mai, I could see us getting an apartment for a year and living there long term. That's what we did. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think our stay in Kolanta, since I just booked the uh, flights out, will actually be like three or four weeks. Yeah, yeah. so about a month. Yeah. So where are you going after this? Well, Bangkok first for a week, and then we're flying to Taipei on April 3rd. Very nice. Why Bangkok for a week? What are you going to do there? Well, we discovered there is an entire neighborhood that yeah, we did not really caters to digital nomad types, expats, hipsters. Um, We had no idea it existed, so we really want to spend some time there. What's the neighborhood called? I totally forget. Uh, Yeah, I'd have to look it up. Trang something. Okay, and there's like co-working spaces? Well, what do you actually know about it? So we talked to one guy here who was there and co-working spaces, really good coffee shops, uh, good food pretty much all we know okay we just figured it sounded interesting enough to check out yeah so you you report back let me know how that is Uh, yes we will um when we first stayed in bangkok we actually stayed in nana which if anyone wants to look that up is the red light district in bangkok really interesting Mm -hmm. would recommend but for a certain kind of traveler you're like oh redhead red Red light light. yeah Yeah, yeah, totally yeah Yeah. it's like the same so Um, (laughs) why are you going to uh, taiwan 
Uh, same reason we want to go to the hipster district in Bangkok. <laughs> We've just heard so many good reviews. Um, unsolicited good reviews yeah. from people we've just met randomly and they're like oh Taipei I love Taipei I would want to live there forever yeah and so again it's a different type of traveler than like say the backpacker with their travel pants it's more <laughs> like the hipster yeah um, the digital nomad people who are getting apartments for months on end working in Taipei air quality is supposed to be a lot better than in other huge metropolitan areas in Asia mm -hmm. um, Outdoor activities are close, and um, great coffee, great food, great expat community. I can definitely say t uh, Taipei and Taiwan in general has fantastic food. Uh, the best night markets anywhere in the world. Uh, I would say the second best night markets in the world are in Chiang Mai, and it it beats it. it just and it's because so like the street food in um, in Chiang Mai or in Thailand is good, but it's. It's just street food. There's nothing kind of special about it. In Taiwan, street food is like a it's like a pride. It's an art where pretty often the owners of these street carts will become these famous TV celebrities, and and the they almost know that like if they really like put the effort into their craft, maybe it's their 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 way to get famous. <laughs> That's awesome. I actually have a friend who is from Taiwan and I asked her for advice on living in Taipei. Her only advice to me was to eat as much as physically possible. So that's my plan. Yeah, and it's, it's weird because it's one of those things where like no one outside of Taiwan really has ever had Taiwanese food. And I don't really know why because it's not okay. So Filipino food isn't good at all. I don't know, have you ever had it? Well, there's a food fusion. truck in San Francisco that sells Filipino fusion. So okay. it's like um, so adobo, uh, agodo. It, it'll be like siseg. It's called senior siseg and it's okay. kind of like... It's Filipino food in a burrito and it's the most delicious thing I've ever yeah. had in my life. So I can see I can see fusion Filipino food being good, a but one just, not. <laughs> yeah, just food in the Philippines is not good at all. And, but every Filipino person you'll meet I will always say how freaking good it is. They'll always Funny. say it's the best food in the world, and they were so prideful of it, and everyone who's ever tasted it was like, this isn't very good. Uh, <laughs> Not the best. <laughs> but I've heard uh, from plenty of non-Taiwanese people or non-Asian people that the food in Taiwan legitimately is good. So Excellent. You can report back on that. Great. That's your second homework. Yes. <laughs> Eat as much as you can. Yeah. Uh, I can do that. And I'll actually see you out there. No, you guys Great. are heading over there around the same time. Right? Yeah, so we're gonna spend I think ten nights here and ten more nights in Colanta after my parents get here, and then we're all gonna go to Taiwan together because that's where my family's from, and we're basically gonna just travel around the whole island. We're gonna go down to the south where my mom uh, was originally born and she still has some family. We're gonna go through Taipei. We're gonna go do some hiking, not, not lots of food. Nice. You know who who knows what else. <laughs> And it's gonna be the first time that Larissa meets my family. Oh, oh that's man. so exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. So that's the next step. And not only is she just meeting my parents, she's meeting like the whole family. family. <laughs> that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's cool that now she's working online so she can actually just stay as long as she wants. I think if she was still teaching English, you know, she might be able to come out for like a week or two, you know, during a break. But now, you know, literally we can we can have family you know, we can do whatever the family wants to do, and then at night for like let's say an hour or two, we can just sneak off into the co-working space or into a coffee shop, do our work, 
uh, and then still have time to kind of spend with everyone. So I, I really think this lifestyle is good for couples. Oh yeah. Yeah, agreed. Well, and also it's so nice traveling with someone that you've already been living with. So like for me and Nathan, um, obviously we can share a sleeping space, it cuts down on costs, but also you're just sharing the work of travel with someone that you love. And travel can be very stressful at times, like booking flights, booking hotels, um, finding you know places to eat, whatever. So whenever one of us gets burned out, the other one is there to pick up the slack. And it's this give and take, like, it's like we have our own little mini travel business between the two of us and <laughs> we're partners in love and life now in travel. It's been an awesome experience. That's cool. So do you think you're going to be making enough uh, freelancing or on the side to be able to cover your travels? Um, that's a good question. I would, for me, I would say yes. Uh, definitely, but there's a give and take on how much I actually want to work. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're still not sure if this is going to be our lifestyle really long term or if we want to kind of spend some time just travel traveling and just experiencing life not working at all. So yeah. since we've only been out for less than two months so far, um, we haven't made that decision. So at this point, we are not making enough money to cover our travels, but we've only been working this past week literally uh, for the past like five days yeah. and in those five days we have covered almost half of our travel expenses so far so I, that's kind of why we're saying we can definitely make enough mm -hmm. but it's just a question of how much do we want to work and it's good to have that balance where you know you can say okay now i just want to chill out for a few weeks and enjoy especially i think the first month and a half you just want to be a tourist yeah yeah exactly like we really had no desire to work for that first month yeah. no yeah. And even now, we're still kind of like maybe one week on and then travel for a while. But. Yeah, I kind of like that schedule where it's like, okay, <laughs> you have a week on where you're like getting money and stuff. And then like the next like week or more than that, you're like doing things you really are excited about. So whenever people tell me they want to come to Thailand and work on their business for a month, I will say, well, why don't you just come for two or three months? <laughs> because... That first month, as you said, you're not going to want to try. You're not going to yeah. want to sit down and work. And it's almost, yeah, you could still, you know, enjoy having dinner on the beach at night. You could still go for like, I guess you can wake up, go for a walk on the beach, go for a run, come work a full day, uh, have dinner on the beach, and then on weekends explore. And that sounds like it's going to be enough. But I think when you, especially if you came from a normal job, you're not going to want to do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like that's totally agree. Yeah, that's how I feel. Like, even the weeks on, like, I definitely don't want to work a full eight-hour day or anything. It's like, okay, I'll work, like, maybe four hours or something just because there's other things I want to you'll, do. You'll get, like, a really bit, much better idea of how much your time is worth, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm looking into freelancing for the first time for a company I used to work for, and they were like, well, what's your hourly rate? And I knew the hourly rates for software development, but they just happen to need writers, and okay. I used to write stuff for them, and... Um, I'm pretty sure the hourly rate for that is much lower than for software development. And I'm like, is that even worth my time anymore? So how much do software, software developers get paid? Uh, so hourly rate in San Francisco. Um, uh, so I won't say exactly what I'm getting paid, but I, can, I will give you a range. <laughs> okay. It's, um, I charge between 100 and 150 an hour. Um, for, and I'm usually like fairly generous, so I won't just like sit there and do nothing. Like usually if I'm charging that per hour, they get like the most efficient part of my day. Like I get things done really quickly. Um, 
but uh, yeah, that's that, those are like San Francisco wages. Um, I've heard of people charging more than that, but that it's like a reasonable wage. And that's for, also iOS and Android is probably yeah. at the top of the market right now. Yeah, it's pretty. It's there's pretty high demand for iOS and Android. Dollars. So my current rate is $115 an hour. So I don't mind giving that out, and that's okay. regardless of what you want me to do. Yeah. <laughs> and but and here's what I would advise to people is that $100 range should be what you should be charging. And if you need to step up your skills or work harder or you know you know or provide more value do that like first before you know like don't just settle for less money right yeah. like i'm sure a lot of people listen to this are like i'd be happy to make 20 dollars an hour yeah mm-hmm. you know but the, like, the truth is you know everyone should be worth 100 dollars an hour yeah. yeah actually i think the people i just talked to um one of my friends said oh yeah a pretty good rate for writing a blog post is like 30 an hour and i immediately just was thinking that's not worth my time. Yeah. I'm not going to, like, I'm on a beach right now. I would pay someone $30 to be on this beach and not have to work right now. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. Around $100 is That's what you should strive spot. for. Yeah. And if you're going to work, if you're going to spend an hour, like, do something that you either enjoy doing or be productive. And I think that's the, the biggest reason why, you know, back in the U.S., we don't get paid that. I Like, most people don't get paid that, that much. Uh, is because they know that they, you know, during those eight hours that you're working, you're probably only working two or three. Yeah. So they're like, well, I can't pay you $100 an hour knowing that you're probably only going to be working two or three hours. Right. Yeah. And I, I think this has actually influenced kind of like later uh, decisions for my career, um, which basically I actually really like, you know, being super efficient for like three hours and then just like relaxing, like not doing work for the rest of the day. Like if, I would rather have a super high hourly rate and work like really hard for those three hours mm. than to like just kind of hang around in an office from. Oh, I think everyone's had that six. feeling where they're yeah. in the office, they know they have to be there from yeah. nine to five, and you don't really have anything else to do, but you're getting paid for those hours, so you just sit there. Yep. Which is ridiculous. When <laughs> yeah. you're freelancing, you say, no, I'm worth a lot more, but I'm only going to charge you for those hours when I am being productive for you. So. Yeah. All right. So kind of a big mentality change so what actually is a so like a web developer mm-hmm. what's the difference between that and a web designer or someone who, like a webmaster good question um so a lot of these definitions are pretty fluid and most software developers can wear many hats um mm-hmm. to me a web developer i'm a full stack web developer which means that i've worked on um, like full applications, database side, doing backend coding, I use Ruby on Rails, and then also translating static designs, so like a PNG of what a website should look like into HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Um, a web designer, that could mean a few things, maybe user interface, user experience, um, who knows? They, they, could, could, they could work with like Photoshop more to actually be creating how it looks yeah. as opposed to actually coding it. Okay. Or maybe they specialize in HTML. <laughs> okay. So, like, let's say, you know, I'm, um, you know, I, I'm starting a new business and I'm like, okay, I want a website for my doggy daycare. <laughs> I could hire a web designer to make basically a, like a picture of what it should look like, where everything should go, where all the buttons should go. And then they give it to someone like you to actually make the website live. Is that how it works? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. one way part. it can work. Yep. 
So that's actually how my last company worked. We had a designer who made those mocks, Static. Uh -huh. um, I don't know if she called herself a web designer, yeah. but designer. And designer. then I was the one who made it live. Yeah. Okay. And same, same for the app, um, the app world. Like usually, I work with a designer, and like we, um, like they'll give me uh, like a static image file for how it should look, and then I just kind of flesh it out. I guess that makes more sense, you know, to have one super creative person that might not be good at coding, to you know, to figure out the you know you, the user experience. They're like, okay, you know, someone go, goes to this page. You know, what should they see on the left? What, you know, what, what should they see on the right? Like, if they scroll down, what should they see? And not you know have them worry about how to hard code it yet, and you know, and just make it pretty. Yeah, and well, usable. web design is a very very specialized skill, and when people are good at it, they make way more yeah. than developers. I mean, yeah. they're in extremely high demand, especially mobile designers. And um, if you can find a really good designer who also knows how to code, we call them unicorns. Yeah, and, and they'll probably get paid whatever they want at Google. Really? Okay. Yeah. So. That's that's been my experience. Like every startup I know was trying to find uh, an experienced designer that like could actually like knew everything about apps and, or like the web or something but had like very specialized knowledge and like they were probably harder to find than developers do unicorns call themselves unicorns or is that sometimes <laughs> i've never met one uh, yeah um, they even worked with one <laughs> yeah like sometimes sometimes like in blog posts, they'll like jokingly refer to themselves as unicorns, but it's okay. not like a office title. But yeah, so it doesn't say on their business card or anything. No, Pro probably not. <laughs> I'd probably put it on my business card. But. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it'd be easier to to first be a web designer and th and then learn how to code, or the other way? I think no matter what, it's a really big skill to learn. Um, yeah. They're very different. I think it would be the same, like for me, I came from the marketing world and then went into coding. Learning how to code is completely separate from what you would do as a designer. Um, and designers, it also depends on what type of designer you are. Uh -huh. So there are people who come out of school and they're really great at illustrations. Um, so now not only are you learning um, how to code, but like just the fact that you are a designer doesn't mean you know anything about the way the web works. And you really need to take some time to study how pages interact, um, how they resize, like just what it means to develop for the web instead of for paper before you even yeah. think about jumping into it. Yeah, there could be kind of two tiers of skill levels there. It's like, okay, you have a person that's great at Photoshop, but then they don't necessarily, like they struggle with um, how to make, how to design things so that they can resize easily. Okay. So like, you know, if, like something works well for both phone browser and television yeah so that's like what you would need to learn to get into web design and then getting into programming at the same time is just a completely different ball game yeah. um no matter what that's a separate skill how did you get into programming so funny story um so i took a couple of classes in college nothing big it was like the intro to computer science course and also a web design course um, so flash forward, I have a political science degree from Wellesley College and went into digital marketing because what do you do with a liberal arts degree? And maybe a few months into my job, I started noticing some gross inefficiencies, for example. Um, when a client wanted to know how many tweets were tweeted at them that day, this is before Twitter had an analytics platform, uh, my job was to manually count them one by one in my browser. Okay. <laughs> Mentioned to my boss 
how inefficient this was and that I was probably not doing the most accurate job. And there's a tool we could pay for, it was like $5 a month, and that proposal was refused. Okay. Why? Why? Because the perception is it's more accurate if we have a human uh, count them. Nope. Which is <laughs> no, no, no. so wrong. It was so wrong, it hurt me. Okay. And from then on, I was like, well, maybe I'll just do some research into the Twitter API. Uh-huh. Started learning on my own. Um, just try to save $5. Yeah. No, right. Well, it was to try and save my soul. Okay. I mean, can you imagine? It would take hours counting tweets with tally marks on a piece of paper. That's yeah. horrible. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, like, say you get to, like, tweet number 90, right? And then, like, the page kind of stutters, uh, and then you forget if you've counted the last one as uh, 90 yeah. or 91. So, like... Uh. No one wants to go back to one. And there were little one. tricks, like you could highlight them, but sometimes like because of the scrolling page, it wouldn't work right. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. So um, they prompted me to start studying computer science, which I did on the side mm-hmm. and attended meetups and went to small courses on the weekends and jumped in to being a software developer full time uh, two years ago. Well, congratulations. Thanks. So when you first even took those intro to computer science classes, what sparked you to do that? In college, actually, uh, there was a girl in my cross-country team whose dad invented the Java programming language. Mm-hmm. No joke. She's from Silicon Valley, and we were good friends. She said this class was great, and I believed her. That was it. And uh, part of that, were you already very, like, computer savvy? And the, so the reason why I ask this is I don't meet that many female programmers. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it was interesting because I didn't have any awareness that it was a male-dominated field. Wellesley College is a women's college, (laughs) and I had never done anything with computer science before, so it just wasn't on my radar. And for example, um, another thing at Wellesley is the economics department is the most popular department, Mm -hmm. and what I realized after leaving is that's also a heavily male-dominated department at Mm -hmm. most universities. And so I just didn't know. (laughs) I was like, all right, there's no reason why I couldn't be able to do this. So why not? I like how you just fell into it and without (laughs) without thinking too much about it. That's great. Do you think that there's going to be a trend in the future for more female programmers? Um, This is a complicated issue. I I hope so. We've actually been talking about this a lot between each other. However, I also (laughs) hope it's not just a way to bring down engineering salaries mm-hmm. um, for example you see like the Mad Men era of advertising where all of the hotshots are male um, nowadays you go into any marketing department and it is solidly female mm-hmm. female gay men very very feminine department and all of the head honchos in general are male and that also means that salaries have gone down significantly marketing in San Francisco is a female ghetto for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And I just hope we're not somehow creating this subclass of women programmers who get paid a lot less, Um, which of course could have very, a lot of causes. It's a very complicated issue. So I'm not just saying that like, there are head honchos out there wanting to pay women less, Mm -hmm. but I do worry about that. It's, I, I don't know, it's, there's, this is like an extremely big time. Yeah, like we, don't, we don't have time to go into why yeah. getting women into tech is a complicated issue, but... Yeah, it's there. There's that's a whole nother podcast. Yes. <laughs> but I will say that it is very cool seeing a lot more female digital nomads uh, now than just even a year ago. 
and I think it's growing like huge. It's not just couples. I see a lot of single females to add co-working spaces as well. Nice. Uh, and then you have the couples as well. And mm-hmm. I think that like, so for Lucien and me, like she never thought she'd want to be a digital man. She didn't think that she would have the skills for it because she didn't study um, any kind of, you know, computer science uh, at all. She never did anything, you know, um, work related with computers and just kind of happened that she wanted to quit her teaching job uh, and I said you know why don't you just help me with my my dropshipping store you know a lot of it's just you know admin or customer service and she's like oh I can do that you know mm-hmm. pretty basic email stuff and now she does all of our uh, our editing for all of our HTML <laughs> uh, now she's like you know learning like because it's so Shopify the platform that we're on uses CSS mm-hmm. which is is that Ruby on Rails CSS is a it's like a markup language essentially. It's, yeah, it's kind of like how like, to style something. Yeah, styles web pages. Okay. And so she, uh, Banyan goes in and like looks through code and she makes the changes now. Nice. So this is completely her job. I like she knows how to do much more than I can now. And I think it's like it's one of those cool things where I think once she, you know once you just start doing it, and there's so many tutorials online. I think she watches you know every, like if she can't figure something out, she just go on YouTube and say like how do I change the style sheet how do I you know how do I move this you know, from here to there that's actually what's awesome about being in software development is because I mean it inherently has this vibrant community online because you know of course everything about it has to do with technology and the internet so where is the community it's online like if you want a tutorial and anything you can find it you can find whole courses from like Harvard or MIT that you can take on computer science it's awesome. <laughs> I like it. So, um, before we wrap up, I want to ask about Cohub itself. Is this the so how how does it, this co-working space compare to places you've worked at in other parts of the world? Um, so, this is actually the first co-working space we've been in while abroad. While we were in Chiang Mai, we were stationed in coffee shops, mm-hmm. which were very nice. However, uh, Nathan has been in a couple of co-working spaces in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, so, like, the, this one's pretty good. Uh, this one is actually more social. I worked at two or, th- or maybe three or four in San Francisco. Um, I worked at uh, Next Space, uh, two WeWork locations, and um, a really tiny co-working space um, called... Cl- the Closet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, kinda. Um, so, uh, this co-working space is really good for uh, like social interaction. Um, one of the WeWork locations, ever, like it was very, uh, like everyone kind of had their own private office, and then there wasn't a very good common area. So it was pretty much like everyone comes in, they go out. Um, there wasn't much interaction. Um, say the only, like this one's pretty good. Uh, the only downside, I mean, there's no free keg that we. Can't just happen to, <laughs> um, which we work had, or at least one. I think maybe both of their locations mm-hmm. in San Francisco had a free. Do keg. they have free kegs all the time? Is it just like Friday afternoons? Uh, it was like all the time, like until it ran out. Like they would probably go through like uh, one or two kegs a week. Um, I know one of their locations had a keg on each floor, and I think each floor was replaced every week. <laughs> so it, okay, and do people just start drinking all day, or do they drink after work? Like, how does this work? Uh, <laughs> the madman-esque atmosphere fear of WeWork. Um, uh, it depends who it was. Like, they were pretty loosey-goosey. I mean, obviously, you shouldn't get totally trashed, but like, sometimes people would have a beer for lunch, 
uh, and then after work, say, like, since everyone would work until, like, 8 or 9, um, and it was a lot of single people, you would have, like, you'd kind of maybe start drinking around 5 or so and just yeah. maybe have, like, a beer an hour um, until, like, 9, then you went home. So it was still, like, a lot per day. You know, like, one drink per hour, like, for four hours, you know, it's a lot per day. Um, but you didn't see a lot of drunkards no, around okay. the floor, like, so that's, that's what you're asking. Yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah, it, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I wouldn't yeah. want uh, myself to have a beer while I'm working, mm-hmm. and I actually honestly don't want everyone else drunk either, or even drinking, yeah. because I'm like, you know, I, I want this to be like a productive place, you know, yeah, no. I want this to be my sanctuary, and also, you know, even though the beer is free. It's it's built into your membership price. Like, oh yeah, so definitely. I almost feel like because it's free, without it's included, people end up drinking a lot more than they would normally. Uh, so I'd rather have we work like work in a place that doesn't have it free, um, has a has maybe some other amenity, or, and ha- or has it be you know maybe like I don't know yeah. nice teas or something. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. even drink that much, so it's just kind of like okay. Yeah. yeah. For, for me, the incentives were a little bit different. Since I wasn't really paying for the like I wasn't paying for the membership. Okay. Um, and so it was basically the directive to me was like find a co-working space that you'd like to work at. And so all things being equal, I don't have to pay for the cost. Um, all things being equal, Nathan chooses beer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, they also had other cool things. Like yeah. each floor had its own like game table, like pool or shuffleboard or ping pong. And so I mean, there were like other pretty awesome things. Okay. So, yeah, I've actually worked out of the one in both Los Angeles and in San Francisco. The one in San Francisco, I don't remember. The Soma one? It's probably Soma. It was, um, I remember in the basement, they had like a like a den. Oh, yeah, that was Soma. Okay. That, that was the one I was kind of, eh, not really. That, yeah, that wasn't the cool one. Yeah, I worked, I worked out of there just a few days while I was just visiting family, and I didn't meet anyone. Like, I like, yeah. literally yeah. tried to meet people. I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know, I'm like, I work out of a co-work space in Thailand, and they're like... They're like looking at me like I'm trying to steal their, you know, industry, you know, <laughs> secrets about their new like programming language. I'm like, I'm not even a programmer, dude. Like, yeah. Are you I'm trying no- to poach our engineers? Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Which that actually kind of happens sometimes. I can see that probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that- yeah, it's, I, I think it's interesting that we had that same experience yeah. at that location. And the one in LA was, it was actually the one in Hollywood, which is weird because it's literally <laughs> on Hollywood Strip. So first, there's no parking at all, and there's no public transport. So I have no idea how people even get there. Helicopter. And when you're there, like you're, I mean, basically you walk out, and it's the this this like the strip where the stars are. You know, we were walking like, and I'm like, this is such a weird place for a co-working space. And I still have no idea what most people there do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've never been to the LA ones. How how much are the co-working spaces in San Francisco? Depends what you want. Like, like the one that you went to, like per month. Uh, I think we work. I could be totally wrong, but I think we work might have been five hundred dollars a desk per month. That's a lot more than it is here. So oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Cohub and Colanta is one hundred fifty bucks, and Pun Space in Chiang Mai is I think I think it's a hundred. So it's a, yeah. it's significantly cheaper. Oh, de- yeah. And for that five hundred dollars, this is what you guys can get. You can get a month-long unlimited co-working space and an entire apartment. Yeah. Yeah, you could. <laughs> it's awesome. Gosh, even Taipei is so much less expensive. After I feel like living in San Francisco was... It, 
It was a good place to live before coming here because now the entire world feels like it's on discount prices. Um, yeah, even New York. <laughs> like, we looked at Craigslist right before we left for apartments in New York, and we're like, oh, that's pretty cheap. <laughs> that's insane. Um, Larissa is now earning U.S. dollars, and she spends when she goes home. It's everything's in South African rand, and now she, but she ever she converts things. She's like, I cannot believe I made an entire month's salary in four days yeah. <laughs> while being on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good feeling. And then now if we go to Europe, the euro is is basically the same as the dollar. I yeah, know. It's really close. It's awesome. So I'm excited for that. Are you, any plan, any further travel plans after Taipei? We, there are a few th- places on our wish list. Um, what's nice about traveling slowly is we don't really have to worry about it for a while since mm-hmm. we'll be in Taipei for a few months. Um, but... We really want to check out Japan. Hmm. Very expensive there, so we're hoping to make some money before going, but it just sounds insane. Um, we would love to check out Australia, and then we have a friend with an apartment in Paris, and okay. we kind of want to take advantage of that this year. I like it. All right, well, I'm glad that you guys are on the show. I kind of wish you guys the best of, uh, of travel. Yeah, you too. If people want to keep in touch on, like, do you have Twitter or blogs? Why, yes, I am building our <laughs> yes. travel blog right oh, now. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's my own CMS system that I built from scratch on Ruby on Rails. I'm a little proud of it. Content management system. Is yes. That, okay. And um, if you find any bugs, don't report them. I'm already aware. Uh, <laughs> it's gingerandthecyclist.com. Okay. And um, you're the ginger. I'm the ginger. Nathan is the cyclist. Okay. You can also find it under lizhuberts.com, which is okay. my name. I like it. Mm-hmm. What's what's going to be on your travel blog? Awesome stories written by me. We actually <laughs> built it uh, for our mothers to keep track of our activities. That's so, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a blog about what we're doing, photos about where we are. So I'm going to check it out right after this. More because I'm curious to see the entire back end of you building. Because you built the site from scratch. I did. It's hosted on Amazon Web Services. So. Okay. So it's not a, a, you know, it's not a WordPress template. It's not on Blogger, right. or on Weebly, or on Wix. Right. <laughs> yeah. handmade. So, handmade from scratch. Okay, I'm gonna check it out. It's artisanal, really. <laughs> I like it. All right, see you guys. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.